0: Welcome to Brain in the um, Today we have a very special guest, uh, David Benatar who is a professor at the University of Cape Town will be talking to us about the meaning of life. Um, David and I have known each other for many years. I was a first year student in his ethics class and has had an enormous impact on my way of thinking and um, in the way that I have sort of developed this love for philosophy. And it's one of the reasons why um, Jason and I have the show. So it really is an absolute um, honor to have Professor Benatar on the show. Um, Would you like to start with a thought experiment?
1: Thanks. Well, it's not a thought experiment of mine, uh, but it does have to do with the meaning of life. Uh, Many of your viewers and listeners may be familiar with the myth of Sisyphus. Uh, Sisyphus was doomed by the gods, punished by the gods by being forced to roll a rock up a hill. And when it got to the top, it would just roll down again, and he would have to roll it up again. And he was uh, doomed to do this for the rest of eternity. Uh, This myth makes its way into uh, one of the works in contemporary uh, philosophy about the meaning of life. It's a paper by Richard Taylor. And towards uh, the end, I think it is, of that paper, he imagines a twist in that story. Because Sisyphus's life looks like a completely meaningless one. His, His fate, he seems to be doomed to pointlessness, just endless rolling of this rock up the hill. And what Richard Taylor does is imagine a scenario in which the gods alleviated his condition to some extent by implanting in him a compulsive desire or just a desire of a regular kind to endlessly roll rocks. And the question is what that would do to his predicament. Would it relieve it entirely? Uh, Would it mitigate it only somewhat? That may be a good place to start.
2: So is the question, does that desire... Um, create meaning because subjectively um, perhaps the Sisyphus who wants to roll the rock, rock up the hill now thinks his life is meaningful? Does that then, is the question, does, does subjective evaluation of your own meaning in life generate meaning in your life if that assessment is positive?
1: Good. Well, that's one of the divides uh, in this general area about w- what counts as meaning in life. And there are these different schools, a subjectivist school and a more object view, objectivist view. The subjectivists think that meaning really consists in uh, your feeling that your life is meaningful. And people with a more objective view think that now your life has to meet some objective conditions in order for your life to be meaningful. Now, of course, even the people who take the latter view can think that there is such a thing as your life feeling meaningful. And say your life might feel meaningful and meet objective conditions, or it might feel meaningful and not meet the objective conditions, or it might not feel meaningful and yet meet the objective conditions.
0: So Thad Metz, uh, in his book on uh, meaning in life, sort of takes a full frontal assault on this subjectivist view, which I think a lot of people kind of feel like: well, whatever you say is meaningful in life is meaningful, and it's just a matter of your particular um, conception of it. And the, the chapter opens with a list of behaviors where someone says, I'm engaged in a meaningful activity. Um, the one is keeping a precise amount of hairs on your head, um, standing in queues compulsively, um, um, counting blades of grass, uh, eating your own feces, and uh, re-watching episodes of Buffy the Vampire Slayer. And he says, even if the person enjoys this activity and says that it is meaningful for them, it doesn't make it so. Uh, You can't convert those things into something actually meaningful.
1: That's a common argumentative technique is to point to examples of that kind and to suggest, well, it might be the case that somebody believes that their life is meaningful by engaging in activities of this kind, but it is completely counterintuitive to suggest that their life is in fact meaningful as a result of that. And that is then meant to count against the subjectivist view. So that is one kind of argument, and it's one to which I'm sympathetic. Uh, It does seem to me that meaning in life is something about which you can be mistaken. We can be mistaken about most things, not everything. You might not be able to be mistaken about whether you exist or whether you're in pain, but it does seem like you can be mistaken about whether your life is meaning. Now, another way to to advance this sort of argument is to ask, well, what do you mean when you ask, does your life have meaning? And uh, there's a lot of disagreement about that question as well. Uh, Some people want to try to specify some necessary and sufficient conditions for what it would uh, take in order for a life to be meaningful. I must say, I'm not personally optimistic that that sort of project could be successful. I don't think that we're dealing with a subject matter here that is that precise, that lends itself to to that sort of of precisification, Uh, But I do think we know roughly what it is we're speaking about when people ask whether their lives have meaning. What they're asking is, is there some point to all of this? Is there some purpose to it? Uh, Is my life significant in some way? Uh, These are not exactly the same thing but they are in a sort of family of, of connected ideas. I think that's the sort of thing that people are asking when they ask whether their lives have meaning.
2: So a- a- am I allowed to put you on the spot here, David, and just ask what do you think the answer is? Do you think people's lives do have meaning?
1: Well, I think one needs to ask more about uh, the different perspectives from which you could ask that question. So I think that, yes, lives do contain, or can contain uh, some meaning. In fact, I think most lives contain some meaning, but I think no lives contain uh, other sorts of quite important forms of meaning. So let me say a bit more about that. Uh, If you understand meaning as significance, or purpose, or having a point, then I think there are a variety of ways in which you can put your life to some purpose, or your life could be put to some purpose. So you might be of significance to, let's say, your members of your family. You may matter to them. Uh, your, uh, your very being may matter to them. The activities that you engage in, your desires, uh, what you do, these things may, may, may matter to them. It may have an impact on them, a positive impact, a negative impact on them. And your life can have meaning from the perspective, let's say, of your family. And I think there are vast numbers of people, not everybody in the world, sadly, but vast numbers of people whose lives have meaning from that perspective. But we can sort of fan out from there to broader perspectives. If you think beyond the family to larger communities, then again, many people whose lives do have meaning from a larger communal perspective, they have an impact, they have some significance for some broader community. You can imagine a yet broader perspective, let's say the perspective of all humanity and there, there are many fewer lives that have meaning from that perspective. Many people uh, just go through their life without having a significant impact from the perspective of, of humanity as a whole. There are some small number of people, though, who do. So you can imagine somebody, for example, who discovered or invented a vaccine for uh, COVID, for the coronavirus to prevent COVID, uh, the COVID disease well, that person would have an impact on humanity at large. That would be a life that is significant from that perspective. And so I think there'll be some people whose lives are meaningful from that perspective. But then there's the much broader perspective, what is often called the cosmic perspective. The question is, well, could our lives have meaning from that perspective? And that's where I'm very pessimistic. I don't think that Uh, our lives do. There are some people who disagree and we can speak a bit about why they disagree and and what they think the cosmic meaning might be, but uh, there I think uh, we're going to fall short. And since that is in a sense the ultimate form of meaning, it's going to be, I think, somewhat disappointing, that news, at least somewhat disappointing, maybe very disappointing uh, for, for many people.
2: So I wonder why do you think that that cosmic sense of meaning is what you said, the ultimate form of meaning. Why, why is it the most important? Why not that very kind of individual level meaning? Why is that not more important or perhaps the community meaning? Um, why, why would that sort of grander scale be equivalently more important?
1: I think in general, the broader, the perspective, uh, the, uh, the, the more the meaning on one axis, on one axis. It's not, it's not more in, in every axis, but there's an axis in which the broader the perspective, the more the meaning that you have. If you think what generates this sort of question, so imagine you get up in the morning and you uh, eat and you perhaps clean yourself and you get ready to go to work in a normal world, not a pandemic world. And uh, you go out there and you uh, deal with all the frustrations of work and you uh, earn your living. And why are you doing that? Well, in order to keep buying food, to keep you alive so that you can continue doing uh, the work that you're doing. That will, and people sort of sometimes step back and they wonder, you know, what's the point of all of this? And if you layer in all the suffering that people have in their lives, the struggles that they have to endure, uh, the hardships... It's a very reasonable question and a very natural, normal question to say to yourself, what is this all about? What's the point of all of this? And uh, if the point is just that I'm giving you some meaning and you're giving me some meaning, this looks like a sort of closed circle that has a certain element of value to it, but it doesn't look like it's enough to justify uh, all the hardships, all the strivings, all the struggle, uh, and of course, ultimately,
0: the death. So I understand that there's sort of two different points here. The one is um, there might be minimal amounts of meaning in our lives that a lot of people are really are engaged in a Sisyphean task. Um, they, they aren't engaged in anything genuinely meaningful. Their sort of lives are highly repetitious um, and are often filled with other sorts of misery. Um, so the meaning isn't doing much to sort of offset the bad stuff. And the other one is, is a perspective issue. So it might be, as you say, that there are some great people, um, like Martin Luther King are going to have a huge impact, um, for generations. Um, and maybe someone like Caesar for thousands of years, but once we zoom out from the perspective of the universe and we think how long, um, you know, humanity has been here for in comparison to all of time and all of space, it starts to look entirely insignificant. Um, and then one might say, well, maybe it has some level of meaning, but only really on this micro level. Once we zoom out, it is um, as if it's, you know, it might, might as well never have been. Uh, it is uh, totally insignificant and totally meaningless.
1: So think about, I don't know, two children squabbling in a sandpit together, and from the perspective of those children, whatever it is that they're bickering about is of immense significance it's It's something very important to them it's enough for them to be coming to blows perhaps uh, but if you just step back a few yards, it might look a lot less important and If you step back to let's say the whole of uh, of the of the world, that little squabble going on in the sandpit is utterly insignificant
2: so the one objection which I kind of raised earlier which which is that one, the one objection is, why do we think this individual view, this individual view that those children have in the sandpit is less important than the cosmic view? But as you, you alluded to earlier, there's a second objection, which is, perhaps we do have cosmic significance. Um, and I can think of one way in which that might be the case. So um, what about the creation of something beautiful, or the creation of art? Um, When we do that, are we not contributing to something that seems to be outside of time and located to a specific place? If you create a beautiful concept or let's say a gorgeous mathematical proof, um, that seems to have some sort of um, broad significance uh, regardless of who you are or where you create it.
1: Why do you think that?
2: It seems to me like when you discover something or create something, let's rather talk about creating something than discovering something. When you create something that's non-tangible, uh, let's say an idea, or even if you create something tangible like a piece of art that seems to have value that transcends the physical piece of art that, that contains it. So you, you, for example, sculpt a gorgeous statue Um, it seems like the value of that statue is more than just, uh, the, the clay that it's made out of. Um, it seems like you have created something new in the world and it seems like the amount of beauty or the amount of intellectual, uh, aesthetic gorgeousness in the case of a new concept in the universe has increased, um. And it doesn't necessarily have to be thought of as increasing just in this tiny little location on Earth. Um, it seems like it's something that is increased in the universe as a whole.
1: I'm not so sure about that. I'm sure you've heard the phrase that beauty is in the eye of the beholder. Uh, that usually means one thing, but I would want to use it for a different purpose here to say, well, if there were no sentient beings, as there will one day be no sentient beings. Uh, whatever beauty you've created has no value at that point. Hmm. So, so significance is significance for the perceivers, for the people who would derive some benefit. I agree it doesn't just reside in the in the clump of clay, uh, but it, it does reside in the eye of the beholders.
2: Do you feel that way about all values? So not just uh, beauty, but any kind of value? Would it only be valuable insofar as it's perceived or thought about by by a specific mind? Or could it have value outside of the minds that perceive it?
1: I think there's an ambiguity in what you've said. So uh, one thing you might mean is that somebody perceives something to be valuable. And the other is that there must be some perceiver in order for something to be valuable.
2: Yeah, let, let's go with the latter. I think the latter is what I The mean.
1: latter, I think, is a more charitable interpretation because I think people certainly can be mistaken about whether something uh, is, is valuable or not. Uh, but yes, I mean, let's imagine, let's take paracetamol, a simple uh, painkiller. Its value resides in its ability to take away some relatively modest pain that you have. Uh, and a... You might not even appreciate it. It might be that the paracetamol is slipped to you without your being aware of it. It, relie- it relieves your pain, and that's, that's good. That's a, that's a positive value, uh, even though you're not aware of it. But if there's nobody feeling pain, if there are no sentient beings, paracetamol has ceased to have value.
2: Yeah, I think that makes sense because paracetamol has a certain function, right? So its function is to alleviate pain. And so, you know, given that no one's in pain, if there was a universe with no one in pain or no no people to be in pain, um, then its function would never be served. And so, you know, it would have no value. Um, but there seem to be other things that have value beyond their function. Um, it's hard to see, for example, what the value of a piece of art is, functionally. Uh, it seems to have something more than that. Well, I, I just by the way, I'm, I'm arguing for this and I don't even believe in the existence of art. So <laughs> I'm adopting a position here that I don't really hold. But I imagine many people would, would hold a position like this.
1: I, I think there could be a functional interpretation. It might, it might be different from the one that you would apply to a paracetamol, but it would be the aesthetic benefit that it has to people. So I see you've got some artwork behind you there, at least one, uh, some other other posters, uh, The the value of that might be uh, to, to you as the perceiver of that. So it's, it, it serves that sort of function. But if all sentient beings were obliterated and that were hanging on the wall, it's not clear to me it would have any uh, value.
0: Mark, do you agree with that? I think you hold a different view. Well, I I think Jason's line of questioning might open up a different problem, which is that if we think that in order to um, perceive value, there must be a perceiver, um, then there's a sort of view about, well, the universe is the perspective that we're adopting to say that there is this very insignificant amount of value uh, given the vastness of the universe in terms of time and space. But the universe is is itself not a perceiver. Um, and so, if we think that to ad- make adjudications about value, we require a perceiver, then we might be mistaken to be looking at the universe's perspective, um, because it, it cannot have such a perspective.
1: Well, I think you're quite correct that the universe itself doesn't have a perspective. But you can imagine a scenario, let's say, where the universe was heavily populated or just more heavily populated than it is now. So it was populated not just on Earth, but there were other places where there were, let's say, sentient beings. And let's imagine just as there are some people whose life work has significance for their fellow terrestrials, imagine a scenario where some people on Earth, their life work has significance for people in distant corners of the universe. Well, now you might say, from some cosmic perspective, I mean, just as with terrestrial perspectives, there can be spectrums, there can be degrees of terrestrial perspective. So with cosmic perspective, there can be degrees. But You might say that from some cosmic perspective now, uh, your life or the life of that person has, uh, has meaning. It seems entirely intelligible to me, the fact that there are, if it is a fact, that there are no such beings or that we're having no such impact, means that our lives do not have that sort of meaning.
0: I take it that an implication would be, let's say that um, humanity dies out, but there's a a record of all of the various things that humans have created. And let's assume that um, some other sentient space aliens come and they discover this. And it happens to be the case that um, what we've produced is valuable to them. Um, And they spread it around the universe. And people are delighted and amused and uh, enlightened by the various things that were made by this um, former race of humanity. Um, That, would I take it, make uh, our lives more meaningful from the perspective of the universe, even after we've died out, um, because the sort of record is playing this um, galactic role, having this big impact.
1: Uh, Yes, of course, it depends on the nature of that impact. So here's another thought experiment. Robert Nozick imagines a scenario where uh, the purpose of our lives is to be food for intergalactic travelers. So the reason why you were created was that intergalactic travelers could eat you. Uh, Now that might be some sort of cosmic purpose, but it doesn't seem to be the right sort of cosmic purpose. It doesn't seem to be a satisfying one. It doesn't seem to... Uh, give you the kind of answer you're looking for when you're wondering what it's all about. So you're going through all these life strivings and you're dealing with everything and it's difficult and you ask, well, what's it all about? And somebody tells you, well, you're going to be food for intergalactic travel. You say, oh, okay, well, that makes it all worthwhile. I feel much better now. Uh, that's not the kind of reaction that you have. So I would want to know more about what it is that we've left behind and what it's doing uh, for these uh, for these aliens. But if it were the right sort of thing, then yes, it could posthumously... Uh, give our lives some form of cosmic
2: meaning. So this this reminds me about an a novel, a science fiction novel whose name has escaped me. And basically, the the premise is that um, we started broadcasting radio waves in the 1900s. Um, and all our TV programs and music stations have been broadcast over time, and they've they've gone out into space in wider and wider. Uh, Diameters uh, until they've reached uh, neighbouring star systems, and um, and we provide the entertainment for the galaxy, um, and you know, totally unbeknownst to us. Um, and uh, and 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 one day when our programming changes, uh, you know, the 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 the, re- the neighbouring aliens are quite upset. Um, so on on that kind of on that kind of conception, assuming you think that entertainment is meaningful, you would say that. Our entertainment has galactic purpose or galactic, galactic meaning it has this kind of universal meaning, assuming it went all the way through the universe and you're saying you 're saying you, what you 're saying is that on the universal perspective, the perspective of the universe, um, you would need to impact right through you 'd have to impact right through the universe in order for what you 're doing to have that kind of meaning. Um, but i'm curious about that about that 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 claim so earlier you said well first imagine that humans were the only existing beings right but then you changed it to imagine that that the universe was full of beings in that case it seems like we would need to impact a lot of those other beings on those far corners of the universe in order for us to have that universal meaning but now let's let's return to that first supposition the idea that humans are the only beings, right? Just imagine for a moment that there aren't any others. Why then should we think that all those distant, far-flung, unpopulated corners of the universe matter more than this particular location? Why think that given that you've said that meaning requires a perceiver and those parts of the universe are incapable of any kind of perception because there's no minds, why I think we should stretch how far universal meaning, how far the distance is. Why should we stretch that distance all the way to those far-flung corners of the universe when we consider whether there's a perspective that matters as to how meaningful our lives are?
1: So I think I've answered that question already in one way. So let me try to answer it in another. Sometimes people phrase the objection you've raised or the concern you've raised by saying, well, you know, what would, what would it count to have cosmic meaning? Of course, you can imagine different scenarios in which that's true. The one is where the cosmos is populated beyond Earth and the one in which it's not. So you're imagining it's not. And then the question to me is, well, uh, if it can't have meaning from that broader perspective, then why worry about it? What, if you can't tell me what it would take to, to have the broad meaning, why worry about it? Well, first yes. of all, I can tell you what it would take. A part of what it would take is for there to be population there for, for, and for there to be significance. But another thing I would say is it's not clear to me why we should draw comfort from that, uh, from that response. So let's come back to Sisyphus again. So let's imagine that uh, Sisyphus is rolling this rock up the hill and down. I'm, I'm, I'm setting aside this, the scenario in which he's implanted with this desire. He's just, it's the classical myth of Sisyphus where he's rolling this rock up the hill and it's falling down. And he feels that it's utterly pointless. People who are watching him feel it's pointless. And he's complaining while he's rolling this rock and he's saying, this just really feels pointless. What's my life all about? And somebody said, well, what what would you want the rolling of the rock to do in order for it to be meaningful? What, what, could meaning, what meaning could come from this endless rolling of the rock? And if Sisyphus is unable to answer that question, if he's unable to say what would be valuable about it, that, that shouldn't be a source of comfort to him. He shouldn't at that point say, oh, well, given that I can't see what point there would be to all of this. I now no no longer need to worry that there's no point. It remains as futile.
2: I wonder whether there's not a distinction between the Sisyphean case and our case though, because in the original Sisyphean case without Taylor's modification, um, Sisyphus does not think his life is meaningful. So he doesn't subjectively perceive his life as meaningful whereas many of us do, correctly or incorrectly. And on your view, it would be incorrectly so, at least insofar as we think it's meaningful overall, considering all the different perspectives you could take. Um, But the difference seems to be that Sisyphus thinks that his life is not meaningful, whereas many of us think that our lives are meaningful. Wouldn't that be an important distinction?
1: Well, that's really just the difference between Sisyphus with or without the desire implanted.
2: I see. I see. Okay. So that's that's the importance of Taylor's modification.
1: I think that- so. I think that's one of the things that's illuminating about it.
2: Right. It then approximates our lives more closely.
1: Well, okay. it approximates some lives more closely, of course, other people do spend quite a lot of time worrying that their lives don't have meaning or that they don't have the requisite sort of meaning.
0: So part of it seems to be that when we're judging the significance of our lives. Um, we don't just do so in some abstract sense, we do it comparatively. So if you want to say, am I leading a significant life? You would, let's say, look at maybe your immediate friend circle, or your your family, um, and think, well, I'm doing okay in comparison to them. When we start zooming out and looking at your community, you might think, well, really, the impact I'm having is rather insignificant to the you know, the big leaders in my community. And then when you think about the sort of the, the greats of humanity who, you know, uh, save thousands of lives through their innovations or created beautiful works of art, you then again think that your your contributions are, you know, less significant. And then the question is whether this move towards the perspective of the universe then dwarfs all of it. Um, or if Jason's point is to say, well, assume for the sake of argument that there is no intelligent life beyond, beyond earth, um, that this zooming out, um, to make us look insignificant is unfair because there is just a great void there and we could just pretend that the void um, wasn't there. And then we would constrain ourselves to a kind of uh, earthly comparator. uh, And that would at least make our relative meaning um, more understandable and more grand in comparison.
1: Look, I think there are lots of things to be said about uh, what you've just suggested. Uh, the, The one is, how should we respond to our condition? How should we respond to the fact that we can get terrestrial meaning of some kinds, not of other kinds, that cosmic meaning is not open to us? And uh, one response is just to be perpetually uh, demoralized about this, perpetually gloomy about this. Uh, some people won't go so far as to take their own life because they think there's no cosmic purpose. Uh, and I don't think that's the right response to, uh, to that. So it's not that I think we should ignore the ways in which our lives can be meaningful, that we should ignore the ways in which we can make our lives more meaningful than they are. Uh, but I just don't think we should delude ourselves into thinking that they are more meaningful than they are and that they can be. So It's just a question of of, of, of having a clear-eyed view of just how much meaning your, uh, your life can have. Another thing I want to say about the scenario to me is that I, I don't want people to think that this is about accolades, that this is about being known. Sometimes the thing that you do is connected with your identity, but it needn't be. So it may, there, there, there are lots of people who do lots of good things that impact a large group of people and the identity of that person or the benefactor is never known. Uh, and I don't think that diminishes the meaning of that person's life. It might diminish the recognition that others have of how meaningful that life is, but it doesn't diminish the meaningfulness of uh, of that life.
0: So you raise an interesting avenue, which is if we are in the situation where our lives are less meaningful than we would like them to be, and there are all these other kind of ills that come along with existence, the sort of... Um, Daily pains the the horror of death, um, the sort of immense suffering, what are we to do given our our human predicament?
1: Well, um, not make more humans that's i mean that 's the first thing because once you recognize that this whole thing is ultimately pointless, that there's all this striving, all this hardship and it might have some benefits for people immediately around, but it ultimately is pointless. I think you would say let's let's just not keep this going this is this is ridiculous just to generate more meaning seekers, more beings to face adversity so that's the one thing. Then you have to worry about well what what about me? I really exist. what should I do and then I would say, Well, lead as good a life as you can lead and I don 't just mean morally so it's, it's partly about the quality of your own life to make your life uh, better than it otherwise would be. And partly, if you can have some positive effect on those around you, either very proximately or more distantly, uh, then uh, that would also be a way of in, improving in, in your life, both in terms of its quality, if it's felt, and also in terms of its meaning.
2: So I wonder if someone can't respond to you as follows. If they can't say... Okay all right you've convinced me there's no meaning in life or, or at least that meaning in life is 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 much our 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 capacity for obtaining meaning in life is much lower the bar is much lower than we initially thought um there's some sort of hard limit on how much meaning we can generate not conceptually but just empirically that we almost never generate the kind of meaning that we think we do um, so so suppose someone says okay I I, you convinced me. Okay, good. But there are other values in life which are worth pursuing. Um, so I'll, I'll agree there's no meaning in life, or not no meaning in life, but very limited meaning in life. Um, but I still want to pursue a life uh, which uh, tries to achieve perfection, for example, or tries to achieve beauty, or tries to explore conceptual ideas, or whatever it is. Um Does your thesis uh, extend to other values as well that we would have, we could only achieve very little of each of those. Um, Is it just limited to meaning or does it go further?
1: Oh, indeed. I've got pessimistic views about that too. So if you you think about just take knowledge, if you think knowledge is a good thing and you think of a spectrum between knowing nothing and knowing everything, Well, we're much closer to the knowing nothing end of the spectrum. Uh, uh, Certainly as individuals, and even if we were to stack all human knowledge on top of one another, of course, no individual could have access, immediate access to all of that. But even if we did that, we would still be very close to the know nothing end of the the spectrum. Uh, But focus on the individual. Just think of all the languages that you can speak fluently that you don't. Think about uh, all the things you could know about the universe that you don't. Think about all the things you could know about other disciplines that you're not expert in and don't. And then think about all the things in your discipline that you are expert in that you don't know about. Uh, We know very, very little.
2: So I I can imagine two ways of of one assessing that claim that we know very little. So the, the one way of assessing the claim is that if you think about all the possible propositions that are true, we would know very few of those propositions. Um, and that seems you know, obviously correct. But perhaps there's another sense in which we do know quite a lot, which is firstly, we zoom out from the individual to uh, humanity as a whole, so I'm cheating a little bit. But it seems also that if we combine that kind of humanity perspective of what we know, um, together with are there certain fundamental truths that we know from which other truths can be derived. Then it seems like we are making significant progress. Um, so humanity is working very hard towards coming up with a theory of everything. Um, and that theory of everything would be some kind of um, scientific theory, um, trying to um, understand how all matter um kind of derives from an initial state, um, plus a set of laws, which explains a previous state, how a previous state brings about a future state. And then we go back all the way to the initial um, state, which is the big bang, and then explain things going forward. Um, If we could come up with some sort of theory of everything, whether it be string theory or whatever it is, um, wouldn't that go a long way towards in in an important sense, um, knowing a lot?
1: I think that we are unduly infatuated with our own capacities and I think part of what feeds this is that they don't look like there are other species around that can do better than we can as a species. But I'm also worried about how much vicarious pride is taken by humans in what other humans are doing. So if there are some sort of genius scientists out there, that are discovering all these wonderful things and we're taking some pride in that fact that's misplaced. We, we don't get any credit for that. And the other thing to notice of course, is a lot of those people brilliant as they are in their, in their area have all kinds of other deficiencies. I mean, think about some of these great minds that can probe the ends of the universe in, in their minds in their heads, and they can't get into the mind of the person next to them. They can't mind read the person next to them. Um, they can't see how their behavior is being viewed by that next person, They have mind blindness of, of that kind. Uh, yeah, any, and I think we should focus more on the individual for now rather, rather than on the collective species, because it, it's, it is more about the individual uh, predicament. Although some of what I say would also apply at the species level, we know very little, we're very limited. And it's not just knowing, it's not just about propositions. Think about wisdom. And wisdom is not just about propositions. And some people have more of it and some people have less of it. But any one of us has very little in comparison with what we could have in principle.
0: So it seems that we're we're sort of standing at the base of an incredibly tall cliff um, and one which is probably insurmountable. And when faced with this, we can either say, well, we should try in our one life to, to ascend this cliff as far as we can get, to try and maximize the, the pleasures we can get out of life, the meaningful experience we can get out of life. Or when faced with the enormity of the challenge, say, well, it's a, it's a worthless endeavor. Um, you know, I can't be unborn, so I'm stuck here. Um, but I can make a choice about whether I want to continue. Um, and I suppose the question becomes whether, faced with either trying to maximize the things you do in your life or ending your life as quickly as possible, um, why should one not kill oneself?
1: I think there are lots of reasons, and not all of which have to do with the meaning of life. Let's focus first though, on those which do have something to do with the meaning of life. So your life can have some meaning. And if meaning is a good thing, well better to have more of it rather than less. So if you take your own life, Uh, generally speaking, you're going to be diminishing your chances for creating meaning. I'm not saying that's always the case, because sometimes people actually attain more meaning through their deaths than through their lives. But that's not true of the typical suicide. That's true more commonly of somebody who's uh, sacrificing their own life for some further good for others. So sometimes we can derive more meaning or create more meaning through our own deaths. But in general, that's not the case. In general, the longer you live, all things being equal, uh, the more meaning you can uh, you can generate. I'm not sure I quite use the analogy of that cliff. I think that all going that's all going to depend. The power of that analogy is going to depend on how into cliff climbing you are. Uh, you you just might not like climbing cliffs. You might think, "Well, I'm going to stay down here at the bottom and do lots of constructive things at the bottom without 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 climbing." Uh, but the other good reasons not to take your own life. One is that I think. We do have an interest in continuing to to exist and those to whom we matter have an interest in our continuing to exist. And meaning isn't everything. There are other things as well, like pleasure. So let's imagine that you didn't have meaning, but you could get more pleasure or other goods in, in life. It may be worth pursuing those, even if meaning or more meaning were beyond your reach.
2: Are those enough? Those other goods. In enough other words, if it's not well,
1: enough to keep you alive, then yes, I think don't take your life. It's ill-advised to take your own life because you think you, uh, your life doesn't have cosmic meaning.
2: But I wonder then if you're stuck in a dilemma here. So on the one hand, if you say they're enough to validate why you should carry on living, um, or at least why you shouldn't take your life, then it seems like that's enough full stop. Um, and enough will stop sounds like can give your life meaning. Um, if, you, if you say that, well, actually, you know, they're pretty pitiful, They're extremely limited. There's only a small amount of these goods you can get. And uh, in the scheme of things, it's, it's, it seems meaningless. Well, then it seems like we have to go back to the question Mark asked, which is, well, then why don't I end my life?
1: No, I don't see that dilemma at all. Because if you take meaning to be good, or at least if there are good forms of meaning that are worth pursuing, then uh, it'd be better to have more of it uh, rather than less of it. And uh, the fact that you can only have a little bit of it doesn't mean to say you shouldn't get the little bit that you can get and try to maximize how much you can get.
0: So let's say that you are in an, an objectively awful state of affairs. You're in a concentration camp. You are beaten every day. You are deprived of, um, almost all of life's pleasures. Um, It is objectively an awful state of affairs. Hmm. But every day, you kind of get doled out some small pleasure. Um, You know, a single uh, drop of honey gets put onto your tongue, uh, or a kind word gets sort of gestured at you. And you say, well, I guess this is better than nothing, you know, these sort of small things, and therefore I should persist. But you know, if we make it bad enough, there must be some point where we say, well, it would be better for you to end this existence. It is so awful that those little bits of meaning or little bits of pleasure, those breadcrumbs don't make the whole thing worthwhile. And there is some rational reason to, to end your life. Um, and maybe that's what our lives really are like when we zoom out, that they are uh, so awful that these little bits of pleasure and meaning don't make continuing them worthwhile. I think what's so
2: interesting about Mark's point is that so far we've discussed the limitations on goods, right, and, and meaning being one good or one value. You've discussed those limitations in our lives. But now Mark has brought up this, this, uh, this other question, which is how much bad is there in our lives? Um, and you haven't said yet during this discussion your views on that, but assuming that your view is that there's a lot of bad, then Mark's objection seems to go through.
1: Well, uh, I think what Mark's scenario has done is it has lumped together questions about meaning and questions about quality, so meaning of life and quality of life, and there is some discussion about what the relationship between those two things is. Certainly, a sense of meaning is going to quali- is going to contribute towards the quality of life, um, and then some people might want to have a notion of quality that is so expansive that it also includes objective meaning, even when the subjective assessment of that objective meaning is not present other people will just want to draw a sharp divide between the quality of life on the one hand and and the meaning of life on the other so the first thing i want to do is i want to just note that there are at least two things going on there even if they're overlapping the second thing is to say that i don't think that suicide is never the rational thing to do i think it is possible for let's just focus for now on the quality for the quality of life to be so bad that it is not in your interest to uh, continue living maybe in some of those circumstances although the quality has fallen below let's say the zero level there's enough meaning to warrant your staying alive so maybe meaning can contribute something and push you let's say above the, the zero level but certainly if you want to lump those two things together—the meaning and the quality—I think there are some lives that are going to be so bad, or reach a point where they're so bad, that it is more rational to end them. All I'm denying is that that is generally true. It's—it's not—it's it, it, not that anybody listening to this uh, discussion should go out and say, "Well, the, the implication now is that I should take my life." No, no, it's not. If you tell me that you've got a terminal disease and you're in advanced stage of this and you're suffering unbearably, the only way this is going to be alleviated is by dulling your consciousness. Uh, Because of your condition, you can't generate any more meaning. If you're in a condition like that, then it's like, okay, well let's talk now about whether assisted death is reasonable. This this is the kind of condition where it may well be. Uh, It may well be reasonable. But for you or for Mark or for me at this very moment, I don't think that uh, we've, it's rational for us to take our lives, given uh, the things we would be deprived of, given the fact that we would be annihilating ourselves, given the fact that we would be now limiting the amount of meaning that we could generate in our lives, given the harm that we would do to other people by taking our own lives. Lots of reasons here not to end it.
2: I'm curious when you talk about annihilating yourself, whether that is a bad in and of itself whether that is an evil. Do you think that annihilation, in other words, ceasing to exist, is a bad thing beyond just the fact that you can no longer get good things?
1: I do think that. And I know it's not uncontroversial. I know that people with alternative views. My sense, at the very least, is that most people accept this idea implicitly. Uh, most people yearn to continue existing. And part of that is because of the goods that they can have. But if we look at very, very many people who are in terminal conditions, who don't have much to look forward to, uh, and who yet want to hang on to life, I think tells us something about about human nature, and probably about sentient nature more generally. Now, you might want to say, Look, this is just a kind of irrational uh, life drive that, um, that in fact we don't have an interest. And I don't know how to settle that. Uh, how to settle that question? I don't think there's a definitive way. I certainly haven't thought of a definitive way of, of settling that question. Uh, but that's exactly why there is a dilemma once you all, or once you already ex- exist. That dilemma can be avoided. By not creating new beings that will that will face that predicament, that will suffer that dilemma, and that's why I think these thoughts again lead to anti-natalist conclusions.
0: So there's some sense in which you might think that it's impossible to be annihilated. So depending on our theory of time, if we take the view that the the past has an existence, um, and that you know you have like a let's say a block universe where you could chunk out a piece of space time. Um, the fact that you existed at some point um, and then cease to exist in the future but you are always indelibly marked in that block universe as having had a certain existence and that existence is there um, for eternity that's or at least until the universe itself ceases to exist um, you know I wonder whether that that plays any role in our evaluation of our lives if we think that in some sense we are there indelibly and cannot be totally annihilated.
1: I'll tell that to you when you're facing execution and see how comforted you are by it. <laughs> it's a somewhat flippant <laughs> comment, but I, I, I don't think that those sort of weird metaphysical views are going to comfort people. So when one could probe them in, more, in more, more depth, it may just be that what you mean by annihilated is perfectly compatible with this. It means that, for example, your opportunity for generating a further meaning may be, uh, maybe uh, ended. I, I know this now moves into a deprivationist view as well. But mm. uh, but 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 the point you make actually isn't limited just to the annihilation point. It, it would apply to deprivation as well.
0: Well, it seems like part of your argument is that there's two things that are bad about dying. The one is that you miss out on future goods, and the other one is that the annihilation in and of itself is bad. Um, I mean, people do seem to derive some comfort in the sense of um, their works living on beyond them or then being remembered by their children. Um, And so they might very well feel some comfort in a, well, I I cannot be scrubbed from reality. Um, You know, that uh, maybe my, you know, my children will eventually die, I will eventually be forgotten, my works will be destroyed. But in some more fundamental sense, you know, I am indelibly marked in the universe. Um, so well, that life- we come
1: to, that's exactly where we come to this question this yearning for meaning and some philosophers have suggested that where that yearning comes from is from our limits and what meaning is about is transcending your limitations some of those limitations can be within your life so you reach beyond yourself into having an impact on other people who are around contemporaneously with you and then sometimes the limitations are questions of your mortality. So you want to sort of, as it were, reach beyond the grave and try to defy death, not entirely because as you know, it, it will all come to an end at some point, but at least to survive in some way beyond your death. That motivates a large number of people. I would say the vast mass of humanity is motivated in some way by that.
0: So let's touch on something else. I mean, let's say we, we could um, be immortal. Would that make our lives better um, or more meaningful if we never died?
1: Well, uh, those, again, maybe two different questions. So, again, there's a philosophical literature on this question about whether immortality would be good. And some people, like Bernard Williams, have suggested no, it would be terrible. He speaks about the tedium of immortality that it would just get boring. If it went on forever and ever and ever, it would, it would just be boring. Um, other philosophers have responded and said, well, it needn't be if uh, you have a, enough different kinds of, um, of, of pleasures and activities to engage in. So you could do some and then move on to others and move on to others. And if you came back to some of the earlier ones later, then uh, you would uh, gain new joy and pleasure from just as you do in a mortal life. And so there's a debate about that. Now, I think if we're going to think about immortality, which is obviously an entirely hypothetical case, because there is no way that we can be immortal. The, I mean, the universe will come to an end at some point. So even if, in principle, you could continue living forever, you wouldn't have the planet on which you could live. And uh, you'd come to an end one way or another. But if you, if you ask, would that be good? It, it can't be good in an unqualified way because if you were suffering too terribly uh, and that went on forever, that would be a lot worse than suffering terribly and it coming to an end. So you're going to have to put a lot of stipulations in place. And some of these stipulations go back to the ancients. So if you think about the myth of Tithonus, I think it was, who uh, wanted to live forever uh, and was granted this wish and, just got older and older and older and more and more decrepit. So it asked for eternal life rather than for eternal youth. So one qualification that you'd have to put in place would be that you uh, you don't lose your faculties, as it were, both your physical and your mental faculties. And then other people have said, well, what happens if uh, you remain alive, you're immortal, and all those who are close to you die? And now, And then you develop new families and they die. You're just going to be in a sort of constant state of of grief and relief. And you've got generations of people that you can, well, then you put the stipulation in place that your family and your friends can remain alive as well. And then people say, well, what about the overpopulation problem? And then you stipulate, okay, well, uh, it's, it's either a choice of procreating or being immortal. You can't have both. And so you, you stipulate some way in which you, you face that choice. And then there's the question about, well, what happens if you do get injured and you're suffering terribly, maybe you'd want to die, and then you stipulate, well, okay, uh, you've got the option at any point to end your life, but you don't have to take that option, and so you could go on forever. If you put all the stipulations in place, then it seems to me that immortality, or at least the option of immortality, would be a good thing. But immortality without those qualifications, that could be a very bad thing.
0: So to kind of extend on this, is there a, a form of existence where you could say, I would pick that over never having been born. I mean, you've buffed up quite a strong case thus far of a life we could imagine—you um, know, really only in the realm of imagination. Um, are there more things you'd want to add where you'd say I would pick that?
1: No. In fact, I wouldn't even pick what I've just said. Uh, uh, I, I think that may that might make the existing condition better, but even if life were idyllic and eternal. I don't think there'd be a reason to prefer that over never existing. I think you could be indifferent between the two, but I don't think there'd be a reason to prefer it.
2: So I wonder, okay, for a theist who's listening to this conversation, they might might try the following type of argument. They might say, okay, assuming a universe that's barren, that's just got human life and life dotted here and there, in, in far-flung corners of the universe, fine. It seems like my, my life can't have universal meaning or meaning from the perspective of the universe. But suppose we insert God into the equation, right? So suppose God exists. Now it seems like the, the, the broadest perspective is God's perspective. And now let's also insert the claim that God cares deeply about my individual life and even sees my life individually. In other words, he can kind of like perceive the value and the meaning of my life from my perspective. And so we've reduced that universal perspective down to the individual perspective. And now God sees that when I do things for my neighbor and impact their life in some way and feed their cat on the weekend when they're away, they feel that I have contributed to their life in some meaningful way. Now it seems like, doesn't now my life have meaning.
1: I think that's exactly why the idea of God is so attractive, or at least it's one of the reasons why the idea of God is so attractive. Now I should say that not everybody thinks that. So there are, there's certainly some atheists who deny that uh, God would give us the requisite sort of purpose. Some of them Put on a kind of brave optimistic face and they say well if uh, if you were created to fulfill god's purposes then you're really just an agent of god you're a pawn of God. So you've got to do what he wants whereas if there's no god then we are our own agents we can do what we want to do and isn't that emboldening and uh, and and affirming so there are certainly people who who have that sort of view but i do think that there's an attraction in the idea that God as the ultimate cosmic being, uh, and benevolent cosmic being, uh, could endow your life with the right sort of meaning. There are questions about what that would be, uh, and I, I'm not sure how we can fill those out. A, a common theistic move is, is just to marvel at the mysterious ways in which God works, uh, without sort of filling in the, in the details. Uh, but I do think that there would be something comforting in that idea, which is why I think it is uh, so attractive. I just, I don't think it's
0: true.
2: Right. So, I mean, to, to then back to Mark's question, which is, is there some kind of life that you would want to be born into? Wouldn't that life be the life where God does exist? and does take your life very seriously from your point of view. And you really love your life, right? You really enjoy your life and believe that it's very meaningful, whether you're counting pieces of grass or you're counting your hairs. If you believe very firmly that that's very important and you anchor that in God because God believes whatever you believe, um, then, then voila, haven't we generated a meaningful life that you would want to be born into?
1: No, I mean, I think that might be a version of the idyllic life. And so then I would be indifferent between that and, and never existing. But remember, there's lots, as I've gestured before, in that theistic view that's left unsaid. So we've got this kind of vague, hand-waving suggestion about how God would provide you with a requisite form of meaning. But the details are not filled out. And it's in the nature of the narrative that you can't fill them out because you're a mere mortal, whereas God could. And so, so much depends on the plausibility of accepting the idea that God does exist.
2: So, something we haven't talked about, but I'd really like to talk about before we end. And you've alluded to it a few times. Um, and I know that a lot of your work over the years has been on this topic: is this notion of antinatalism, or better not have been. Um, and you've you've mentioned it a few times during this discussion that if if you could choose between the idyllic life and not to have been you would be um you you wouldn't prefer one over the other um why would that be
1: because i don't think there's a net advantage to the idyllic life it's great if you're here to have an idyllic life but if you hadn't existed you wouldn't have been deprived of it we as existers are deprived of everything short of the ideal but if we'd never existed it would not have been a loss
0: it would not have been a loss.
1: No, not, not, it wouldn't have been a loss to us. We wouldn't have been there. It wouldn't have been a loss to us.
0: So I take it this could be cashed out in two ways. The one is um, there's a non-existent entity. Um, and so that entity can't um, miss out on things. It cannot have the experience of uh, of FOMO. It can't say, I wish I could have had this idyllic life. It, it's, it had no prior existence, so therefore cannot be deprived of anything. And so it's in a state of neutralness. Um, and the other one would be to say, well, it's got the benefit of having missed out on all the awful things that happen in life. So um, we might take the view that when we avoid, um, you know, uh, you know, an accident where we were paralyzed, we say a good thing happened. Uh, we we missed out on this terrible thing that could have happened, and that is positively good. Being committed to the to reality in the sense of being able to confront it for what it is means an ability to recognise um, all of the the dark awful things, but also all of the you know wonderful things about it. Um, but is there some virtue in having a a deluded state? So you know, a lot of people will say that. They say, well, I'm not really sure if there's a God, but I'm going to act as if there is one because it makes me feel happier. Um, you've written about a kind of how people are poly ish um, So they, they tend to look on the bright side of life um, and that this has some limited sense in which it, it actually makes their lives go better because of the false perception. Um, is there some extent where we ought to embrace a delusion or, or should we be striving for as accurate a possible perception of reality as there is?
1: Well, this is a question that I discuss in in the book, The Human Predicament. Uh, I do recognize that there can be these feedback loops. And so if you think that your life is better than it is, it actually becomes a bit better than it otherwise would have been, even if it doesn't become as good as you think it is. Uh, And it is true that some deviations from reality can make you feel better. But if you get too deviated from reality, then that might not actually be good for you. It's very hard to find the the sweet point. And it's also, of course, not just about you. So if there are things that you can do that make your life go better, then in principle, I'm in favor of them. But you need to be very cautious that in the process, you're not going to make them a lot worse for other people. So think about, for example, the ideologue who is so committed to whatever worldview it is that they have, that they're now going to inflict misery on people who disagree with them. They might be religious, they might be secular, there are all kinds of versions of this. Now, you might be deriving immense satisfaction from your uh, self-righteousness, from your sense that you are correct, Uh, but look at all the misery that you're inflicting on other people. Uh, now you've stepped well over the mark. Again, to come back to antinatalist themes, I would say that if you are sufficiently deluded that you now bring new beings into existence, you're doing a lot of harm in the process. So if you can sort of straddle that path, I, I wouldn't say go for delusions. I would say go with coping mechanisms of another kind. And they can include things like not focusing on all the time. So... You can sit down and decide that you're going to focus all the time on the meaninglessness of life. Well, that's a very good way to get less meaning in your life. That's not going to be productive. Whereas if you say, look, I'm mindful of the big picture and that's not good, but there are some things that I can do. I'll have my moments of reflection where I put it all in perspective, but at the same time, I'm going to do what I can do in order to uh, generate some meaning. Uh, Then you are steering a, a kind of course that I think is wiser.
0: Well, um, I have to say, this has been an absolutely invigorating discussion. Um, there's a sort of interesting tension in writing about why our lives um, lack meaning. I think you were engaged in an incredibly meaningful endeavor, um, one which has made many people's lives much more meaningful because it's been a cause for reflection to sort of pursue truth. Um, and to to think about things that are beyond the uh, beyond the everyday, um, and uh, you know, I really commend the, the incredible impact that you've had, um, not just on my life but on so many other people's lives in this regard. Just on our planet, Mark. Just on our planet.
1: <laughs> Much smaller scope than that.
0: <laughs> At least for now. First, the Earth. You know, then then we'll see what lies beyond.